I'll edit them. Don't want to be cynical. That's not the way to get started, is it? Right. Elijah and Elisha. All of these Old Testament stories, you know, are there because they are kind of poetic, prophetic pictures for us that are highly relevant to modern life. Believe it or not, they are relevant to spiritual life uh, in our times. In fact, the whole Old Testament picture is like that. The big picture thing of coming out of Egypt is when, uh, and through the Red Sea is a picture of the cross, of when we come out of the worldly ways of thinking and come into God's way of thinking. And we come into restoration. We come into freedom from sin and guilt and come into God's ways. Then there's a, a promise. You know, when they came out of Egypt, they had a promise that you're going to get into a land flowing with milk and honey. This wonderful thing. And did you ever go to gospel crusades where people were preaching the cross and saying, come into this life is a wonderful life? And you may have had the picture that it was going to be all sweetness and light and everything was going to be easy after that. It was a bit like that for the Israelites. When they came out of Egypt, this land flowing with milk and honey, they were thinking about all that. They were leaving behind the slave masters who were whipping them and making them build all those pyramids and all that stuff. And it was going to be great. But what did they get? They got a dusty old wilderness. And then they got miraculous provision of food. But it was the same food every day. Every day, every day. And so they got so sick of it, they are actually wishing they had some onions and leeks and cucumbers from Egypt again. You ever been there? You ever thought, oh, this Christian life, I might as well have just been a non-Christian. Then I could have at least enjoyed being a sinner and enjoyed this and that, you know, whatever. <laughs> yeah? You ever thought that the way? Most of us would have in our secret angry moments. And then, when they did finally get to the edge of the promised land, there was another little catch. What was it? There was actually a whole bunch of other people in there already. And guess what? They weren't little midgets, little weaklings that you could push around. They were actually giants. Do you ever get the feeling that God is a bit tricky sometimes? Now, why didn't he say to Moses, go and tell them, there's a land full of giants that are ten times bigger than you and have been fighting men since their youth, but let's go and have that land. Yeah, didn't say that, did he? <laughs> he didn't say there wasn't there. I'm not saying God was lying, all right? God does not lie. But sometimes, you know, you can't get the whole picture up front because we needed a few steps along the way. And... Because otherwise, we, we just wouldn't, it's just too much. Wouldn't, wouldn't that be, if, if you were told when you were three years old, all the complications and difficulties that were going to be in your life, and you had the option to just sort of just pull the switch now and give a, a miss. <laughs> right? Or if on your wedding day, you were presented with all the miserable things that your wife was going to say to you over the years... Would you just say, I don't think I'll bother with this one. One or two people really deeply identified with that. You know, God has to trick us because we're actually a little bit inclined to always take the safe way out. God always has to sort of entice us in, in a way, and it's not deceptive. 
It's just his love, because otherwise, you know, we just wouldn't bother sometimes. We're too lazy and whatever. And, you know, we're at a point, I believe, as a church right now. And in a way, it's almost exemplified by the fact that we couldn't get this building for the Bible school uh, on Saturday. And also, guess what? We were supposed to have a celebration tonight. And I even had Graham Kendrick booked, and he was all geared up to come. But that building isn't available anymore either on a Sunday evening. So there is resistance. That doesn't mean it wasn't God's will. All right? But we are at a point of standing, and we're just at this, this story that I'm dealing with here with Jericho or Joshua, and then they were, they were going to enter in and take this land. And I want to talk about spiritual warfare. Now, I'm as lazy as the next guy. Do you know that? I don't actually like spiritual warfare that much. I like nice, quiet little prayers. We can have a cup of tea and a nice, friendly little prayer meeting with people. And if it's answered, great. If it's not answered, you just get along and talk about something else. That's more fun, isn't it? When you actually start declaring that you're going to do something, and then you have to start fighting for it, then you're, you're in a position which is pressurizing, isn't it? And difficult. And it's kind of awkward for various reasons, isn't it? And you've got to push through. And you feel like, maybe I'll just run away and forget this thing now that's looking like a little bit more difficult. <laughs> but here we are. And I want to just pull some lessons out from, uh, we've been following this little event of Joshua, uh, sorry, of Elijah and Elisha. Now, Elijah was the old prophet, and he was now going to pass over his mantle and his calling to Elisha, the young man who had been uh, working with him for a few years. And they went to these prophetic places just before this sort of handover of the mantle was to take place in a very dramatic way, they went to these various places, each of which had a symbolic meaning to them that helped us to understand the general nature of the spiritual life that we're in. And they went to Gilgal, that place of renewal. It's like crossing the Red Sea. It's the cross. It's where the reproach of Egypt is rolled away. It's where our sins are taken away, where our guilt. And we always need to revisit that place. We never, you never become so mature as a Christian that you don't need to live your life out of the cross of Jesus. There is no other place that guilt can be dealt with. You know, sometimes when we get skillful at prayer and spiritual warfare, we think we can fight off the guilt and sin. You know, that's why big-name preachers fall into sin sometimes, because they forget to go back to the cross. They forget they're actually just a sinner like everybody else. And they start using their ministry gifts to fight off the guilt and keep the demons away, and they can keep their ministry going for a long time, even though they're in sin. That's a terrible misuse of the authority that God has given us. So we always need to go back to Gilgal, to the cross. We always need to be humble people that need salvation. We always need to carry our sins to Jesus. He's the only one that can take them. Okay, Every day, we take our sins to Jesus. So Gilgal. And then there's Bethel, which is the house of God, the dwelling place of God on the earth. It's God's people being put together in a family. We are the house of God, the church. And, uh, you know, in that place, that's important for our maturing, our growth. I think I said last time, if people are getting on your nerves, it's almost certainly a sign that God has that area of your life that he's putting his finger on. So we're also, not only are we a blessing to one another as friendship, but we're also a blessing to one another when we get on each other's nerves and wind each other up. 
actually helps us mature and grow and become wiser and strong. I mean, that's not a very popular thing maybe to say, but it's a wonderful thing and true, isn't it? So family, it's family in general is like that, isn't it? Your, your natural family is like that too, you know? George Burns, I think it was, said that the key to a happy life is to have a large and loving family living in another city. <laughs> All right, if you're a Hollywood star, I guess. Sit there. But anyway... You know, family has its, is a mixed thing, isn't it? And, but it's in that, that's part of how we're matured. But after that, they went to Jericho. Now, Jericho is the place of warfare. Remember, where they, the first place in this promised land flowing of milk and honey where they are going to have victory and battle. And we talked about that a little bit. I've only just introduced these, and we'll go through them again in some measure, perhaps, because there's a symmetry here. They went to these places with uh, before Elijah was taken up and then after Elijah was taken up in reverse order Elisha went to each of these places and did something significant in each place as well so that we'll perhaps look at that depending on how the Lord leads us over the next few months by the way I'm sorry that Simon Thomas who is billed and some of you were expecting Simon perhaps this morning because he was on the thing I'm very sorry that he wasn't able to make it this morning and uh, I didn't actually get his text until I had pressed him so he said he had texted me saying he couldn't some time back so uh, that was uh, somewhere text went missing, so that's why it wasn't changed till the last minute. But next week, we actually have Russell Grubb confirmed to come, our good friend, who is a mighty man of warfare and will be a great blessing to us all in these things. Now, in the Christian life, we need warfare to lay hold of the things that we are promised. If we're going to see things change, we need warfare, don't we? We're going to see answers to prayer. We need to do more fighting prayer sometimes. We're going to see sometimes it may be provision. Maybe it's going to be healing. Maybe it's deliverance from the oppression of the enemy in some other area. For all of these things, there is a necessity of warfare and there's a call upon us not to be passive and shrink back either in fear or in laziness or in just, uh, you know, I like to have a quiet life so I'm not going to stir up any trouble. I'm going to just hide in the corner somewhere and hope the enemy ignores me. He will for a little while, maybe. <laughs> I don't know. It's random. <laughs> you know, it's the luck of the draw sort of thing, if you're going to rely on that. Or we can take up our callings with God. Now, one of the reasons that I'm a little bit... Uh, well, actually, uh, I didn't finish my thing there. Jericho, the warfare thing. But then they went to the Jordan after that. And these two, I'm kind of kind of couple these two together because after Jericho Elijah and Elisha went to the Jordan and that's where Elijah put his mantle on the Jordan and walked through it supernaturally the same as the people had done under Joshua by Jericho they walked through supernaturally through the Jordan and then remember Elisha after he got the mantle he did the same back so the fourth place they went to is the Jordan and of course the Jordan is a number of things it's not as the symbolism of it isn't quite as Straightforward, I suppose, in some ways, is Jericho. Because Jordan is sometimes a symbol of the baptism of the Spirit, crossing the Jordan. Remember, they crossed into the Promised Land. It's sometimes a symbol of the baptism of the Spirit, a kind of parallel to the Red Sea, isn't it? At the beginning of the wilderness, the Red Sea. At the end of the wilderness, the Jordan. Both supernatural crossings. One, and this is the way Bible teachers often portray these, one is the baptism into the death and resurrection of Jesus, and the other, the baptism into the Spirit. 
Of course, they're both really overlaid and they're very parallel and they're kind of um, the same thing in a way, but um, depending on how you look at it, so I don't want to labor that side too much, but there is an element, I believe, in the Jordan of death and resurrection. And I'm coupling this with spiritual warfare, the Jericho thing, because it's right there by Jericho, and the two places are kind of intertwined. And this is one of the reasons why I don't like spiritual warfare so much. I do like it, but I don't like it. I like resurrection. I hate dying. Don't you hate dying? It's the bad side of it. There's no resurrection without dying, though. And Jesus said, take up your cross daily. You've got to live this life of daily dying life. You know, if you just want to be a kind of nice Christian, a little bit of prosperity doctrine going over here, a little bit of this, a little bit of that, and just breeze through life and everything's okay without having to fight too hard, it would be kind of nice. And we really try, a lot of church effort is made to find that sweet spot. (laughs) You can do that. But, you know, God has made that road kind of narrow and kind of steep and kind of rocky so uh, that we don't get away with being... You know, he doesn't want any kind of wimps in heaven. Weak, pathetic wimps who got away. I don't know if that's good theology or not. I think he wants everybody to heaven. But there's a big thing about our own characters being formed and shaped and, and that travail. So God is... He's not just after kind of getting something done. He's after us being changed as well. And so we get caught up in that. So there is this death and resurrection thing. Now let me get on to my kind of main thing I want to say about spiritual warfare. And here it comes. Um, I'm I'm going to, this is what I'm going to do. I'll tell you what I'm going to do. Because I have Verena sitting right beside. She's my conscience on good order. And some of you think I skip around all over the place, and you think you can't follow me. Uh, I'm sorry for that. So I will give you my, my introduction. I've done my introduction. Now I'm going, to, I'm, going, I'm going to talk about that expression that Elijah, Elisha said when he actually saw Elijah being taken up. My father, my father, the chariots of Israel and its horsemen. Strange little thing he said when he saw Elijah caught up in the whirlwind. So that's my first point. Then I'm going to talk about Jordan, the death and resurrection, just briefly. And then I'm going to give us three warnings. Three warnings about spiritual warfare to try and help us stay on track and also just to help us develop our thinking a little bit. So there's three warnings. So the first thing I'm going to talk about is this, my father, my father. Because when Elisha finally got hold of this mantle which is a picture for us of getting hold of the mantle of Jesus. Jesus was caught up just as Elijah was caught up, and the mantle fell back. And so in that sense, we as a church are a picture of Elisha, and we have a calling to get hold of what God has with the anointing that we've been given and to make things happen for him. Okay, We are meant to live in a land flowing with milk and honey. We are meant to live with supernatural healing taking place in our midst. We are meant to live with supernatural deliverance from evil taking place in our midst. We are meant to overcome and to have these things that God has promised. This is the normal Christian life. All right, The passive Christian life where you don't have any of that is not what we actually want, but which we sometimes settle for. Okay, We don't want that. And in this little expression, as Elisha saw that mantle coming down and of, or being 
down and Elijah being taken up is the key to, I believe, that one of the keys to spiritual warfare. My father, my father, the chariots of Israel and its horsemen. Now, obviously, the warfare side is clear. That the chariots of Israel and its horsemen was that anointing for war, isn't it? Chariots and horsemen. That was the war, the vehicles of war. That's like in our modern times saying, you know, fighter jets and tanks. You know, my father, my father, fighter jets and tanks is kind of what it was, if you put it historically, contextually, spiritually, uh, of course, because it was a fiery chariot. It was a fire. It was in the spirit. It wasn't natural. Israel was never meant to have chariots, by the way, or horsemen. They just were meant to have foot soldiers. Even in the Old Testament, this was never really about physical warfare. This was about spiritual warfare, how we overcome the powers of the evil one in our times. So what's the key to this little cryptic little expression? There is only one way to fight in spiritual warfare, and this is why some of us have been hurt in spiritual warfare and have given up because we haven't done this. And that is with our eyes on the Father's face. Jesus said, I do what I see the Father doing. That's what he did. That's, that's the key to the miraculous life. One eye on the Father, both eyes on the Father, I should say, and a hand out for the chariots and the horsemen. Our power and our authority in prayer, comes from our connection with God the Father. Okay? There's two gates, if you like. There's a gate into heaven, which we need to be looking into, and there's gates on the earth, which are every problem is a gate on the earth. You know that? Every sickness, everything is a gate to the enemy's kingdom, isn't it? Every problem that you have is potentially a gate. Now, the problem is, if you have all the gates of the earth staring you in the face with all their misery, okay, all the spiritual gates of trouble, sickness, family pressures, financial hassles, council giving you grief, parking tickets, all, everything that's happening that you don't like on this earth, the oppressions of the enemy, if you have all those gates open in your life, you are an unhappy person, aren't you? You're, you're a pressurized person. Well, unless you're just, you're wanting them and you're just letting it all flow around you, but even worldly people don't actually want the negative side of the world, do they? They don't really want it. So we need that gate open to the Father. Otherwise, we won't have any authority. We won't actually have any authority. And we need to see, see, this was the, this was the thing that Elijah had said to Elisha. If you see me as I'm taken up, if you see, if you can see clearly. And this is why uh, up until this time, uh, one of the things I've been very much emphasizing is that the Lord is cleaning up our hearts, purifying our hearts, because it is the pure in heart who see God. We need to let the Lord cleanse our hearts. We need our focus to be right. And look at this guy, Elisha. And this is where the kind of death and resurrection thing comes in. We, we need to actually be dying to the things of the flesh and the things of this world. And Elijah, Elisha, the reason he could see, whereas other people perhaps couldn't see, is because he was a radical follower of God. Elisha really was. 
when Elijah first called him, he was a man, he was a wealthy farmer. He, had, he was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen. And Elijah walked by him and threw his mantle over him, which is kind of like saying, look, you can, you can have this calling that I have if you want this prophet's calling. You know what Elisha did? Did he think about it for five years and hum and haw and ho-hum and this, that, and the other? Maybe, maybe not. Is it going to be, pay off better for me or not? No, he didn't. He immediately stopped plowing, chopped the yoke, of, the yoke that were ho- hooking all the oxen to his plow, chopped it all to bits, killed all the oxen, made a big feast, fed all his neighbors and said, adios, amigos, I'm off on this one. Boom. Pretty good, eh? Pretty radical guy. Pretty radical guy. And notice also what he does when Elijah's, Elijah's mantle fell. What did he do? Poke around at it for a while? <laughs> Sniff at it? Nah. Ripped his own clothes off and put it on. On the spot. See? He's a man of pure heart. The pure in heart see God. He's a man who sees God. And one thing that we need to do is set our hearts. Are you really in this? If you're only half-heartedly in this, do not bother with spiritual warfare. Don't think, oh, maybe I'll try a little bit of spiritual warfare and see if that gets my life to work. Sorry, you have got to dive in wholeheartedly into this kingdom or not. Okay? Because if you're half-hearted, it won't work anyway. You'll fiddle around with this and that, stir up. You know, it's not about shouting at demons, this Spiritual warfare. It's not just about shouting. Anybody can shout at demons. Sons of Sceva, they shouted at demons, but they got under more trouble from it. See, it really is about our hearts. What is our choice of our hearts? Are we absolutely 100% going for God, or are we going to just fiddle around with a bit of religion, try and have a nice life, make our life a little bit better, polish it up a bit? It's a hard choice, in a way, and yet if you've made it, it's not that hard a choice. It's actually the only choice, and it's, it's the, the easy choice. Um, wholehearted means dying and rising again. <laughs> this is dying. This is kill all your oxen, burn them all up, and feed everybody, and rip your clothes off, or whatever. It's just a wholehearted dying in order to lay hold of this resurrection, and that's what he got hold of. Now, the background to the whole of Elijah's calling was a warfare against the world and the, all that goes on in the world. Remember, there was Jezebel, there was Ahab, and there was this guy, Hiel of Bethel. That was the context into which Elijah had come, and that is the context which prophetic warfare ministry functions in at all times, including our own times. Jezebel, false power. False power, Jezebel. Worldly power, political power, religious power, Financial. She was her father was F. Baal, the high priest of Baal, was Jezebel's father. He was the ruler of the city of Sidon up north of Israel. He also conquered. He was just a priest, but he killed the king and took over the city. Then he went and conquered Tyre down below it as well. And Elijah was at war with this kind of false power, which had also then come in to Israel because she had married Israel's king Ahab. Now Ahab is this. Sign of false weakness, if you like. False weakness. This is, what, this is the context of our battle, by the way. False power on the one hand, false weakness on the other, and we're sometimes much more tempted to that 
let's just be a little bit weak and pathetic, like I was saying, try and get away with things and hope things don't go too bad for us. But you know what that did in Israel's context here? That let Jezebel come in. False weakness on our part lets false powers take over. Okay? And then thirdly, there was this guy Hiel, the false father, who sacrificed his own children for the sake of building uh, Jericho, rebuilding Jericho in these times of Elijah. Elijah. And this is why this always harkens back to that era. So I have this three warnings that I want to finish up on just to help us uh, avoid perhaps some of the pitfalls. And I want to just go... I haven't actually read read this passage again. I have read it before, but I want to just do a bit of reading here. I want to go back to Joshua. When Joshua, just before he conquered Jericho, okay, and this is my first warning. Beware of thinking in terms of sides, okay? False power. And here's the, here's the story. When Joshua was by Jericho, this is Je- Joshua 5, he lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, a man stood before him with his drawn sword in his hand, Okay, now you're standing outside a city. You're going to conquer this city. You know there's warfare coming. And Joshua wasn't someone who was afraid of warfare. He was, remember, one of the, one of the two spies that earlier on, 38 years earlier, had said, now nah, we can conquer this land of the giants. And remember the other people said, oh, no, no, we don't want to fight. Too much hassle, fighting, warfare. We don't want all that. And so they shrunk back in unbelief. But Joshua wasn't, he was a fighter, But then when he's standing outside this Jericho waiting for the battle to start, uh, what I guess uh, a man, it says, stood before him. Supernatural experience. An angel, perhaps. We might have, or he might have thought. And the first thing he asks him is, whose side are you on? Are you on our side or on on the side of these guys in Jericho? And guess what? This angel answers. Did you catch it? Or did I read it? No, maybe I didn't. And he said, no, but as the commander... Uh, so with the drawn sword, did I read? I can't remember where I stopped reading. Okay. Are you for us or for our adversaries? And he said, no, but as commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and worshipped him and said to him, What does my Lord bid his servant? And the commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, Put off your shoes from your feet, for the place where you stand is holy. Joshua did so. Now, I actually believe that is is Jesus himself that appeared there to Joshua, one of the appearances of Jesus in the Old Testament, because he accepted worship from Joshua. Angels do not accept worship from men, do they? And he accepted worship. So we would assume that the commander of the Lord's army in this period is Jesus himself. And, and I'm saying the first warning I'm giving here is about, it's a warning against a false power. Because, you know, we can, even in the church, through spiritual warfare and prayer and really get into it, and we used to, my goodness, in Ictus, we used to be gung-ho on warfare. And I was foremost among them. All right? In a manner of speaking. I was into it big time. Now, the problem with being so into warfare is that you get a real buzz out of fighting and being into it all. You know, and it's kind of the same buzz as when your team is winning in football. 
All right. Now, how many people uh, support the local boys, Charlton, here? Okay. How many people support Chelsea here? Chelsea. Uh, how many people support Man U here? Man U. Ah, Man U. Now, why, why, did you, why do you support Man U? You always have? Is that because your family? He's never been to Manchester. At some point when you were a child, you decided to support them, right? Just a kind of random choice. And now it matters to you that they win. And you would like them to win all the time. And they're going to win. They're going to beat Liverpool today. Now, there is something in the human heart that just likes to pick a side and they want their side to win. It really doesn't have anything to do with good or evil at all, actually. And you know that little dynamic in the human psychology can kick right into action on spiritual warfare. And I'm on this side, we're going to win. And the problem is that sometimes you can't judge how a battle is supposed to go and what God really even wants to do in it. But once you sort of said something, perhaps publicly declared something, then it's important that your side wins, and so you keep on fighting. And many, many, many people who are into spiritual warfare are fighting for all kinds of crazy things because they have let the natural inclination to be on the winning side and for my team to win, they have let that be a louder voice in their hearts than the Holy Spirit. And this word to Joshua, the the commander of the Lord's army, no. Whose side are you on? Joshua said, you on our side? No. I'm not on your side. The question is, are you on my side? That's always the question. Are you on my side? This is the, 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 uh, the warning I give against false power. We get drawn into false power. We like power. We like to be the ones winning. And it is a very subtle corruption in spiritual warfare that we need to keep our hearts submitted to Jesus. Our eyes on the Father's face submitted to Jesus. And we need to correct each other and correct ourselves again and again and again because I tell you, it's the most deadly danger. Before you know it, you're fighting like a crazy person against things that God has not called you to fight because you judge them as an evil thing that you should fight. And it becomes an unbearable burden. Do you know that? And that is why, one of the reasons why I am very reluctant <laughs> to take up the persona of a person who is into spiritual warfare. Again, because I know what a corrupting thing it can actually be. And how dangerous it can be. So that's my first warning. And it's right there in the text, the scripture. Jesus is the captain of the Lord's host. Every battle must be submitted to him. You don't know if God wants to take someone to heaven or whether he wants to heal them, you don't know. Nobody knows. All right? You don't, why waste your time fighting to keep someone alive? Maybe God is trying to kill that person and bring it to heaven for all you know. We don't know. We don't, we don't judge good and evil very well. And especially if we start thinking, oh, my side is for the healing and those evil guys that don't believe in healing, I'm going to prove them that I'm right and do, 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 do. A hundred things we get caught up in conflicts in the church. And God is, he just washes his hands of it and walks away and just crying, I think, after a while. I remember, actually, 
in the days of Icarus East, one or two prophecies coming. Prophets once stood up in a meeting in Icarus East at uh, South Street Baptist. I was one of the leaders. And he said, uh, I have a picture of Jesus. And he's weeping. And he's about to walk out the door. And you know, I think he did. I actually think he did. And it took me a good few years. I'm not saying it was all my fault. I'm not saying that. But I was one of the ones in the leadership, so I had some responsibility for how we were going. It took me quite some years to find the Lord's heart and to get myself into the right way of thinking again about all those kind of things that were going on at that time. False power. You know, Jesus said, don't rejoice that you can push demons around. A lot of people can push demons around. You know, snake charmers probably can push demons around a bit. There's lots of weak and pathetic demons out there. You, you know, if you get a buzz out of that, you can do all sorts of stuff. Rejoice rather that your name's written in heaven. Rejoice that you're, you can see the Father. Your eyes are on the Father's face. Don't get caught up in false power. And so... I'm almost talking us out of warfare again here. I'm actually calling us to warfare. But I'm calling us to warfare because the next danger, or no, that's the third one actually, by the way. No, the second one is beware the jealous big brother, the false father, the false father. Now that was, in the Elijah context, that was, of course, uh, Hiel of Bethel who built up um, Jericho at the cost of his own children. There's always this element, and it's right often in the church itself. Pharisees and the Sadducees were that to Jesus. Cain, right from the very beginning, the jealous big brother. Laban, remember Laban, who should have been a good father to Jacob and Leah and Rachel, but he was actually a mean, he was actually Jacob's father-in-law, but he was the father of the, but he was mean and nasty, and God had to call Jacob out of there. Remember Saul, who trained up David to be a fighter, but when David got to be a better fighter than him, he then started undercutting him and backstabbing him and trying to get rid of him? If you have uh, been in a church for very long, you will know that there are these elements there. But you know, that's not the heart of Jesus. You know what Jesus said? You will do greater works than I do. Greater works than I do. Um, in our hearts uh, as a leadership you know believe me if I felt that our hearts were any of us Brian, Verena, myself, Sarah oh by the way Sarah the children are ill this morning she was very apologetic she couldn't come and she loves you all very much and would have liked to have been here this morning Um, if any of us had a heart that was concerned that we must always be the ones that are just a little bit better, and we wouldn't want any of you to rise up and become much better than us. If I ever felt that heart in myself, that would be a day to resign, and if anybody else in the leadership had that heart, that really would be a day for them to resign. You know, this is not, that the heart of the church must be a leadership that always wants the next generation to do better than they themselves ever did, and are willing to do. You know how you can tell the difference between a brother, a jealous big brother, and a father? in a family when little kids play with dad 
game, checkers, check, uh, drafts, or whatever you call it here, say for example, dad usually lets the little ones win, doesn't he? Big brother doesn't like little brother to win, does he? Uh-uh. You can always tell where's a father's heart. Sarah's sister, Helen, she used to play chess with her dad, and she began to think she was a rather good chess player until she went to school, and then somebody said, uh, you know, older, a few years later, said, oh, you know how to play chess? Are you any good? And, oh, yeah, actually, I'm quite good at chess. I always win. <laughs> but when she actually played with someone else, she never won at all. It's never right. <laughs> you see... <clears throat> There's an interesting verse. And this is, is so important. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read it. I know my time is probably gone, but you know, one John talking about, and this gives us a glimpse into a father's heart. One John uh, chapter two, verse twelve. I am writing to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven for His sake. I'm writing to you, fathers, because you know Him who is from the beginning. I am writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. I write to you, children, he repeats it again, because you know the Father. I write to you, fathers, because you know him who's from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you're strong, and the word of God abides in you, and you have overcome the evil one. You see, there's a side of spiritual warfare that is the work of young men. You know the word of God, you've got energy and power, and you're out there fighting the devil, and you overcome the devil. Okay? And it's a good thing. But if you don't mature become a father who knows him who's from the beginning, who is quite happy to not let the next generation of young men and women rise up and be even greater than you were. If you're not happy with that, then you're not fit to be, you're not a father who knows him who's from the beginning. All right? And John was one such, obviously, himself, he became a father. And it's interesting, um, oh, no, I won't go into that, it's too much. It's that heart, though, of a father. Rejoice when someone else does better than you. That's the heart of a father. Yeah. You don't mind losing so someone else's confidence can come up. You don't mind looking like a bit of a failure if someone else can look a bit more successful. Tough, though, in the crunch of it, isn't it? In the actual heat of the day. But this, in spiritual warfare, absolutely essential. Because... Do you know why? Because the one that we're fighting against ultimately is the devil. And in his heart is pride and selfish ambition. And I want to be somebody. And man, if you are effective in spiritual warfare and you start getting healings going and you start getting people delivered from demons, you're going to be somebody in the church. Believe me, you really are going to be. And what are you going to do with it? What are you going to do with it? That's the question that our hearts need to have that dug out of our hearts. What are we going to do with it? Are we going to pass it on so somebody else is even better and that we decrease so that he may increase, as John the Baptist said? You going to do that? Walk that walk? Let's not even start. If we're not setting in our hearts that that's what is in our heart, that we might not even be that great at it, but whoever else comes after us even better. If we don't have that in our hearts, let's just quit right now. We're, we're just, it's, just not, it's just no good. But we're not going to do that, are we? We're not going to do that. We're going to be, grow to be true fathers. And thirdly, beware of the choir. I haven't read that passage because it's such an annoying passage to read. Remember when Elijah and Elisha were going to, I'll just read a tiny bit of it just to, just to remind you. I can't even bear to read it. I'm so sick of it. 
<laughs> Everywhere they went. Okay, here's the right. Now, when Elijah was about to take, uh, when the Lord was about to take Elijah up to heaven by a whirlwind, Elijah and Elisha were on their way from Gilgal. And Elijah said to Elisha, Tarry here, I pray you, for the Lord has sent me to Bethel. But Elisha said, As the Lord lives, and as you yourself lives, I will not leave you. So they went down to Bethel. Now the sons of the prophet who were in prophets who were in Bethel came out to Elisha and said to him, Do you know that the Lord today will take your master away from you? And he said, Yes, I know it, hold your peace. And everywhere they went, those guys said the same thing. Do you know that today the Lord is going to take your master? Yeah, yeah, I already know that. They keep saying the same thing over to him. Now, as you go farther down, though, and after Elijah, Elisha has his, picked up the mantle of Elijah, and he's gone uh, back to Jericho. Um, okay, so here's the sons of the prophet again, verse 15 of 2 Kings chapter 2. Now, when the sons of the prophet who were at Jericho saw him over uh, on the other side, they said, the spirit of Elisha... Elijah now rests on Elisha. And they came out to meet him and bowed to the ground before him. And they said to him, Behold, now there are with your servants 50 young men. Pray, let them go and seek your master. It may be that the Spirit of the Lord has caught him up and cast him on some mountain or into a valley. And they said, You shall not send. Or, he, or Elijah, Elijah said, You shall not send. But when they urged him until he was ashamed, he said, All right, go ahead, send. And they sent there for 50 men. And for three days they sought and couldn't find him. And they came back to him, and he tarried uh, with him at Jericho, and he said to them, Did I not say to you, do not go? So, in all of this goings on, there is this choir of the sons of the prophets, always, you know, kind of sometimes right, saying, Oh yeah, do you know this? Do you know this? Do you know this? Always uh, saying thing. But when it actually came about that he actually had this event had actually taken place. Then they said, oh, well, maybe it didn't actually happen. <laughs> uh, maybe, you know, they, beforehand they knew, oh, the Lord's going to take your master today. And then after it actually happened, they said, oh, well, maybe he didn't. Maybe he just moved him over to a hill or something. Let's go and search everywhere all over the place and find it. So there's this whole group of people. And that's why I say beware of the choir, the school of the prophets, because whenever God is doing something and there's something dynamic going on, there's always a crowd around who is kind of just, well, what are they doing? They're always watching where the power is. They're always just looking. They're kind of curious people and very concerned with who's who all the time, always working out who's got the anointing now and who's got the mantle now. You don't need to look on the Internet. You can Every discussion going on about where this, that, and the other great thing is happening. Constantly uh, observing but never actually doing anything themselves. All right? And I wouldn't want any of us in this church to get caught up in that. As we begin to raise the temperature and begin to engage in spiritual warfare, because I, I do believe the Lord has tapped me on the shoulder a number of times now, prophetically, and said, it is time <laughs> to take up your sword again and fight a little bit more aggressively than what you've been doing. And I've just finished my book on spiritual warfare as well, coincidentally with that as well. But so that will be available to you but in, uh, in a bit. But, you know, there's always a kind of choir that's just analyzing. Well, let's just see how that goes then. Well, let's just see this. And it's just sitting there making these observations but never actually diving in themselves. And this is where I'm, I'm uh, 
I remember this old... Um, and, and see, that's a really hopeless position to be in, and it's a hindrance as well, because they're, they wasted a lot of time in the end, didn't they? They always knew the right thing to do. Maybe I could put it this way. They always know what everyone else should do, but never do anything themselves. <laughs> do you know the kind of people? Don't become that kind of person. You know, sitting there over your tea and crumpets, saying how good the preacher did this or that, or how good so-and-so did this or that, and, but never diving in. Dive in and be part of what God is doing. That is so important. We had this saying, and I'll just finish with this, which I learned when I was in Cape and Ray Bible School. I think this comes from old Major Ian Thomas, who was a real fiery man of God and uh, been in the British Army and stuff. And this is what his, uh, sort of one of his little watchwords was. Lead, follow, or get out of the way. <laughs> That's a good maxim. Lead, all right, if you got something from God, you got prophetic word, you got insight from God, go ahead and lead. If you don't, Follow someone who does. But don't just stand in the middle, analyzing and being this kind of choir, saying, oh, well, now the anointing's gone over to him, and he's got more anointing than him, and now, oh, yeah, maybe we should do this, and maybe we should do that, meaning we'll get someone else to do it, <laughs> right, all the time. Ever heard that? Don't get caught up in that. That's just one of the dangers. So those are the three warnings. The false power becoming our side is the winning side. The false father... And that false sort of weakness, that saying, oh, I'm so humble, I don't want to do anything, but I'll tell everybody else what they should do, you know? Anyway, that's a negative note to end on, isn't it? Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. It's a bad one, though, that one. It's, it's annoying. That's, that's an annoying choir that's there all the time with Elijah and Elisha. Oh, this is going to happen, that's going to happen, yeah, 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 whatever. Hallelujah. Let's just pray. Father... Thank you for listening to our podcast today. You may have been a Christian for a long time, or you may be exploring the possibilities of a relationship with God. Wherever you are in your journey of life, please feel free to contact us at Woolwich Community Church if you would like any further information on today's message. We will be happy to talk with you, pray with you, and help you in any way we can. Please see the information below in our bio on how to get in touch with us. Have a blessed week. And God bless.